This week's TribCast is sponsored by DoorDash. DoorDash was founded to grow and empower local economies and in 2019 added over $642 million to the Texas economy that otherwise wouldn't have existed. Find out more at DoorDashImpact.com. And the University of Texas at Arlington. The University of Texas at Arlington is powering the Texas workforce with 14,303 degrees and certificates in 2019-2020. Learn more at uta.edu. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for January 13th, 2021. I am Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor for News and Politics at the Tribune. And today I am joined by three people. Abby Livingston, our DC Bureau Chief. Howdy. Ross Ramsey, Executive Editor. Howdy. And State Politics Reporter, Cassie Pollock. Hello. Hi, guys. Um... So the last time there was a Texas Tribune TribCast, I was not on it, but I understand that it was being recorded as lawmakers were gathering in the U.S. Capitol to confirm President-elect Joe Biden's victory as president. So it was a week ago, but it feels like it was a decade ago, basically. Uh, minutes after you guys logged off, an insurrection happened with pro-Trump supporters storming the Capitol and disrupting the vote. It's kind of hard to know where to start on this conversation. So much has happened. You know, five people died in the Capitol that day. Um, anger at our junior senator, Ted Cruz, has kind of exploded after the event. And today, lawmakers are in the Capitol and will vote on whether to impeach President Trump for the second time. Abby, I'll start with you. And maybe we should just start a little bit about kind of your recollections from that day and, and you know, that moment in history. I don't think I've ever produced a piece of journalism that was more quickly uh, stale and obsolete than that TribCast. I don't even remember what I said. Um, but like now, on that day, I had the television on mute. I'm at my parents' house in Fort Worth. And um, uh, I at fr I mean, I was watching it with some alarm. Ted Cruz spoke. Um, he and McConnell were indirectly sort of engaging with each other. Um, and then the... Uh, the 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 charging toward the Capitol started, and for um, I think one of the hardest things I've uh, one of the things I've struggled with the most in my role is trying to convey the abnormalcy of this to people who have only been to the Capitol once in their life or none at all. But um, you don't get to climb the steps of the Capitol as a normal person. Um, I can walk down some of the steps with a member of Congress as they're leaving, but then I cannot walk back up. I have to go into a separate security entrance and climb my way back up through the halls of Congress and the same thing over and over again as I'm interviewing them. So to see people on those steps was absolutely terrifying and horrifying. Um, but I was still kind of like, okay, well, this is going to um, shake out once the National Guard gets control of this. And when I heard CNN say there is no National Guard, I have, it was like watching 9-11 all over again. It was the most terrifying scene I've seen in television um, in many, many years. And um, the scale of, I think members of Congress are going to have PTSD over this. Um, this is, uh, I mean, at one point I asked my father, um, you know, to tell me his recollection of the day the sniper was on campus at the University of Texas because he was there. 
for me, I'm from afar. I would have been in the Senate chamber um, if not for the pandemic. Um, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. And um, every time I see a photo um, from the Capitol, it's sort of an abstract, scary thing. But when I can place where specifically in the Capitol it is, I get this sense of panic and anxiety. Um, and I was not even there. Um, uh, so that's kind of my human reaction to this as a uh, reporter. I I will have to say, any, I'm probably going to answer a lot of questions with, I don't know. And um, th- that is significant enough that I'm not even willing to speculate on some things because this is just so, I've never seen anything like this. And the um, undercurrents of it and the fear and the fact that we are impeaching a president for the second time in um, 13 months. Yeah, I mean, it was an, an amazing scene, a, an incredibly scary scene, obviously, for the people who are inside and just, you know, the state of our, our country and politics right now. You know, one thing that has come up a lot in the wake of this is the frustration that members, the people of the general public have felt toward Ted Cruz in this situation. It's uh, well known, I think, that that you know this happened as um, both chambers were debating and discussing an objection that Cruz had raised about the election results. He's been very involved with the kind of questioning of the election results, um, with the uh, raising the concerns of the fraud and, and giving voice to the concerns of the fraud. It. There's been a lot of people who are quite unhappy with him. There are, I think, a lot of questions about kind of what this means for him politically moving forward. Abby, I mean, this is probably one of those questions where the answer is going to be, I don't know. But but can you talk a little bit about what the fallout has been for him in this time? Uh, it feels different than past times. This does not feel like the government shutdown of 2013. Um, and everywhere he turns, he's getting nicked. Um A quote I like to come back to frequently in coverage is by Peter Jennings, where a couple of weeks is a long time in American politics. So this could look very different in two weeks. But um, the the outrage at Ted Cruz already existed. These are most of what we've seen are people who already did not have an affinity for him. But I think the intensity of it, um, and, and I was pressed in another interview with a reporter about Congressman, former Congressman O'Rourke's comments about this. And the, the question was framed like, is this about, um, you know, is this sort of grudges over the Senate race um, left over? And I, I've never really found Congressman O'Rourke as someone who's covered him and he's not always um, been delighted with what I've written to be any in any sense of vindictive person. Um, Congressman O'Rourke is someone who's walked through the Capitol a lot. And So I think several things have happened. I think specifically what matters right now, I think is less about donations and less about like who's giving to whom. Um, I think it's more about what his colleagues think. And I, I was speaking to people in the Capitol who were locked down um, and while they were in lockdown and one of them kind of characterized it in a way of these people could not see televisions. They were either in like legitimate hiding or in a bunker. So they really didn't have a scale of how big this was. Um, But they were also just sitting there wherever they were alone and stewing and becoming angrier and angrier as they gathered more and more information. And I think Cruz's folks would argue it's not fair for them to point so much ire at him, but the fact is they have. And his coworkers, 
have said on the record uh, scathing things. And uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Senator Patty Murray of Washington, who's a Democrat, um, I think she called on him to resign. I have to correct, but either way, she 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 wants some sort of action taken against Cruz. Well, Senator Patty Murray is not someone who's hyperbol- hyperbolic. She is extremely on message. Um, I covered her when she ran the Democratic campaign committee in 2012. Um, this is not someone, as I put on Twitter, who pops off. And so um, I, 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 whether or not in the Cruz camp's mind this is fair. It is something they're going to have to deal with for him to have any sort of efficacy as a U.S. senator. Ross, this is a Ted Cruz question. This is also a Republican Party question and something that I think affects a lot of Texas Republicans here. I mean, you know, we saw the speeches after this all came down. You know, one that really stands out to me was what Mitt Romney said about, you know, if you want to respect the voters as 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 Cruz was calling for, all the people who were concerned that this election was stolen in a way, despite no evidence of widespread fraud, fraud that would have affected the results anyways. And, you know, certifications being done by Republican and Democratic officials in swing states across the country. Um, objections that members of the state House and Senate didn't object when, you know, it came to the counting of the votes for their races as opposed to the presidential race. But you had people like Ted Cruz, you know, supporting lawsuits. You had the attorney general of Texas filing lawsuits, trying to overturn the election results, people raising questions about whether there was widespread fraud and things like that. Are you sensing any kind of a soul searching going on right now? Uh, is it an appropriate amount? Do we need to see more? I mean, how? what do you think the long tail of what happened last week is going to be? I, I think the Republicans are trying to figure out whether the current or the recent support among the Republican electorate for Donald Trump is a lasting thing or a temporary thing. And I think, you know, as Trump goes out of office and as all of this ends, you know, when we're, whether that's in a week or a month or six months, you know, Cruz and some others have made a bet that the support for Trump is really where the Republican Party is and where it's going to be in the medium and long term. And, you know, I don't think that's a safe bet. I think that, you know, the people on that side are going to get plenty of noise as they're already getting, as Abby points out, from the more moderate and more establishment parts of the party, the institutionalists, as they're called, the, you know, the McConnells and others are starting to assert themselves here. And if, you know, there's an old phrase that the most fickle people in politics are the voters. And if what has been 85 or 90 percent support for Trump turns into 10 or 15 percent and the voters move their attention to something else, everybody who's aligned with Trump is going to be a target for their opponents. You know, for Cruz, that's going into a presidential race in 2024. Everybody who's not on that end of the party has something to pin his ears back with. Uh, He bet all of his chips on this thing. And um, if the voters don't stay in, you know, whatever you want to call the Trump end of the pool, uh, then uh, Cruz is going to be labeled as, as being in the minority of the party. That's going to be to his detriment. Can I, can I jump in real quick? Um, One thing I would add and this is a tweet that didn't get much attention. And I had a previous career covering politics and all over the the country at roll call. And one guy I talked to somewhat on New Jersey politics was a GOP operative named Mike Duhame. And he was a 
frustratingly brilliant Republican in the state in the eyes of Democrats. They they looked at him with admiration but frustration at the same time because of how much he bedeviled him then. And he tweeted this last night, and I just was stunned when I read it, but he is a credible political observer. The GOP will split in two, perhaps irrevocably, in this defining moment for Congress. It is coming in the next few days. The dam may finally break. Yeah, and I think that's the question that a lot of us are asking right now is, is, is this the situation where, you know, as you say, the, the split happens and things like that. I remember, you know, back in 2015 when the uh, when when Trump's rise was really just starting and he was starting to show up at the top of the polls. And, and people talk about now about, you know, when will the party denounce him? Will, when will people kind of unify and, and speak up against some of the things that have going on? At that time, the party was united against him almost. You know, you had people like Rick Perry calling him a cancer on conservatism. One of the very few people who actually, you know, talked like he liked Trump was interestingly enough, Ted Cruz at the time. And the voters went a different direction, right? The voters kept him at the top of the polls. And it seemed like a lot of the decisions that were made since then were decisions that if if I continue to speak out against this guy, I'm going to lose a lot of my voters. You know, one thing that I think we don't know about is how much has that changed right now? And 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 will there be an incentive to to break with him again? And, and then what will happen to those politicians who do that? The big place where that will be tested right now, of course, is impeachment. And and Abby, you're you're watching the Capitol right now as we do this. And, and there will be a vote later today on whether to impeach the president for the second time. The first time I believe that has ever happened. It, what do you think the chances are that any Republicans from Texas get on board with that idea? Uh, I don't know. Um, and it's hard to tell. Some of them are lying low. I think it is fair to assume most will support the president in this. Um, but the House is not really where the story is anymore. It has been the last couple of days. But yesterday afternoon, Mitch McConnell basically came out, I mean, he didn't come out, but the New York Times reported uh, that he is starting to look at impeachment um, more seriously, the, 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 the Senate trial more seriously than before. And I think John Cornyn is going to be the most interesting person in this, in the state of Texas. And I have no earthly idea where he comes down on this. He um, is very close to Mitch McConnell, but I don't, know if that's indicative of anything. And I have no guidance, but I think he will be the most interesting person. And I, I think it comes down to when McConnell wants to bring this up. Previously, he indicated this would not be dealt with the trial until after Biden takes office. But, I, you know, judging by last week's Tribcast, anything I say could be rendered moot in 20 minutes. Sure. All eyes on Cornyn, for sure, moving forward. I mean, one thing that we, we have observed about Cornyn is that he was, you know, he did not object um, on a, a week ago on Wednesday. And uh, he, as you said, is, is tied with Senate leadership. But obviously, the, it, it would take more than Cornyn. It would take a good number of Senate Republicans to to come along with the Democrats on this in order to make a change. How do you think this affects Ted Cruz's ability to legislate going forward? Do you think he's going to have find it harder to get cooperation among his members. I mean, I know he wasn't the most popular member among many, even in the Republican uh, caucus already. Does does this change anything for him in that regard? 
Well, so one, to backtrack one thing on um, the senators, Cornyn was just reelected. So he's got a full six years ahead of him. And there is a whole class of senators um, who don't have to face voters until, I guess, 2026, which seems like an eternity. So that's one thing to remember as well. And it's not just Cornyn. There are several others. With regard to Cruz, Cruz was not necessarily, um, uh, I'm sure he's passed laws, but I mean, there really honestly hasn't been many, you know, substantial laws passed in many years. Um, so I never really put him in the box of um, the the legislator. And there are some members who just, they live to get bills passed. And he's always been more of an orator. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is the committee assignments um, and what McConnell does with Cruz. Um, I don't have any indication um, he is going to exert any punishment for um, the senators who voted to object to certifying the vote. Um, and John Boehner used that as a cudgel circa 2011, 2012 um, with some of the Freedom Caucus guys, and they're still there and he's not. So it ended up, it ended up not kind of, or it ended up backfiring on Boehner. So, um, but I would imagine the greatest part of Ted Cruz's job um, that he looks forward to is probably judiciary hearings, um, you know, Supreme Court justices, attorney generals, things like that. And so um, I, I've, there are no indications McConnell's going to go down that path. But, um, boy, if he did, that would be an, a, a fascinating development in politics. All right. Well, Abby, you need to step off to kind of continue to watch what's going on in Congress. We will take a break to hear from our sponsors, and then Ross, Cassie, and I will be back to talk about the Texas legislature. This week's TribCast is sponsored by Educate Texas. Educate Texas stimulates creative solutions to key educational challenges throughout the state. Learn more at edtx.org. And Texas Farm Bureau. Get the latest in farm and ranch news wildlife, and a recap of the day's markets on Texas Ag Today, the only daily news ag podcast in Texas. Find out more at texasfarmbureau.org slash radio. Okay, so while it was a dramatic week in Washington, we also had a big week in Austin where the Texas legislative session for 2021 got off to a start. After what happened in the U.S. Capitol, we saw a lot of security, a lot of concerns about the spread of the coronavirus and a few ceremonial things that have happened so far. Cassie, can you kind of walk us through the first day? What did, what did day one of the ledge look like this year? Yeah, you know, by all appearances, uh, things ran as, as smooth as they uh, perhaps could have gone, given the, uh, the circumstances that were in with the pandemic. Um, you know, the House uh, overwhelmingly uh, voted on Dave Phelan as uh, the next House Speaker. Uh, only two House members voted against him, freshman Republicans, uh, Brian Slayton and Jeff Kaysen. Um, you know, there was uh, a heavier DPS, uh, Texas, you know, National Guard presence at the Capitol, just given uh, the events in Washington, but uh, wasn't too much drama to report on that front. And um, over in the Senate, uh, you know, um, things were, were pretty ceremonious over there. And uh, Brian Birdwell, um, Granberry Republican, was elected the the. Um, elected to a new role as um, Ross, what is it? Speaker pro temp, president pro temp. What am I, what am I missing here? Um, yeah. President pro temp It's largely ceremonial. It goes to the most senior Senator who has not yet been president pro temp. So 
you know, you've got a lot more senior senators in there, but we're down to Birdwell at this point. So, you know, largely ceremonial, I think largely ceremonial, I think is a pretty good way to describe just the first day in general. You get the speeches. Governor Abbott comes by each chamber and gives a short speech. Obviously, the election of the speaker is a big deal, although we knew what the results were going to be from there. But you get a speech from Phelan, too, about, you know, him taking the role and gives a little hint as to what his priorities are going to be. Ross, did you learn anything, anything that you kind of took away from that first day about where the mindset is of the lawmakers or, or what they want to be doing this session? Not really. I mean, it looked to me like most of the conversation in the Capitol among legislators and staff was who's wearing a mask and who's not wearing a mask. <laughs> you know? I mean, the, the, the proceedings were pretty much the boring first day proceedings that you usually get, you know, like, like you say, we went in, they made some speeches. The governor came into both houses and said, you know, welcome to Austin. Let's get to work, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have a great session. You know, standard pep talk. The, the lieutenant governor did the same. Then they elected a president pro tem, which if you've ever sat through one of those means four or five or six senators Sometimes 30 senators are going to say nice things about somebody. Um, so that's like a that's like a you know 12 year old's birthday party. Everybody's in a good mood, and then you go over to the house, and there's not really a race for speaker. And you know, and sometimes these things are sometimes speakers are elected by acclamation. Most of the politicking happens bef well before they get to the floor, um, but oftentimes you get somebody who's holding out. So you know, there's a little tiny bit of suspense for the nerds like us. Um, who want to see who's going to vote against Dade Phelan in a house where everybody's voting for Dade Phelan. And there were a couple of them and they'll be at the end of the chain when it comes to committee assignments. <laughs> it's like, like a, a form of political, you know, uh, self-destruction. Uh, and then, and then they basically all said, we're going to come back and do the rules and then we're going to disappear for a week and a half, come back on the 26th. So I think it was, you know, I think it was refreshingly boring after what's been going on in Washington and after, what's been, you know, dominating cable TV and everything else. Right. The the freshman lawmakers going back to the speaker vote, you know, the, the freshmen tend to be kind of at the end of the line anyways. And so we had two who decided to, to be at the very end of the line. Um, <laughs> apparently, Cassie, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, expressing maybe some disapproval of the fact that Phelan uh, built a coalition of Democrats and Republicans in order to, to rise to power, although we did have the full support of the the um, the GOP caucus, or the, at least a majority of the GOP caucus. Right, yes. Uh, tapping into, um, I think, Brian Slayton and, and maybe Jeff Kaysen ended up putting something out to this effect as well. Just, you know, taking issue with the fact that exactly what you said, that Phelan courted both Republicans and Democrats in order to get the votes that he needed, you know, uh, to win election to the gavel, which, just to be clear and to state the obvious here, is not out of the ordinary for a House Speaker or in a House Speaker's race. Um, and yeah, you know, that's obviously tapping into a broader frustration that some at the state party level with, you know, new, semi-new at this point, uh, you know, Chair Alan West have kind of expressed with feeling. So I think that'll be um, an entertaining, fun storyline for us reporters to follow uh, as session plays out. Sure. Cassie, what was Phelan's message to the members after his vote? What, what, what did you kind of think he was trying to get across to them in his speech? 
Do you say what was Phelan's message? That's right. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he is is spoke a lot of, of bipartisanship of coming together after the tough uh, year that everyone has faced. Uh, you know, pretty pretty universally across the board, and you know, getting to work on redistricting on the budget. Uh, you know, he had a line in there that uh, I think he even mentioned this during his interview uh, when when our Evan Smith interviewed him earlier this week, but you know, cutting down what Republicans call, you know, the, the bureaucratic red tape uh, surrounding some of the, the regulations in the state for businesses. Obviously, Abbott suspended um, a number of those throughout the pandemic and, and feeling indicated, you know, made it a point to, to mention in his speech that he thinks that some of those should be permanently, uh, you know, removed from the equation. Um, had a line in there. Let me see if I, I still have it. Um <laughs> Uh, this was my one of my favorite lines from the speech. Um, That's the margarita uh, line. <laughs> oh, why did you have to steal my thunder? Go for it. I just want to deliver the whole thing. Uh, 50, quote, I'm gonna 50 find your thunder minutes. first. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to help you get to your. Thunder. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, all right. You know, I won't even. I won't even. No, no, we won't. Come on, please hear it. Uh. 51 years after putting a man on the moon, we figured out how to sell margaritas to go. No, nothing breeds bipartisanship. Like <laughs> margaritas, for sure. For sure. Right. So, so then so, the rest. Of, oh, go ahead, Cassie. Uh, yeah, and I was just going to say, you know, he's uh, also made made sure to mention what other state leaders have have been, and other lawmakers, budget writers, public education uh, lawmakers have been mentioning in recent weeks. You know, just that the state remains dedicated. Uh, committed to, uh, you know, putting teachers and edu- you know, and other school educators and 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 students at the forefront of the equation uh, again this session. So, um, those were, you know, his his big takeaways uh, during his his speech, uh, um, you know, yesterday. And yeah, I think uh, it's just kind of indicative of where every, everything's at, at least on the house side right now. Um, no drama. As of yet, we could have some tomorrow with our rules debate, but as of uh, 12, 26 p.m. Wednesday, um, all is running smooth so far by all appearances. Indeed. And if, you know, we, you talked about bipartisanship on the House side, on the Senate side today, we will get a vote on the rules, most likely, um, including possibly a change to the three-fifths rule in the Senate. This is a rule where... Any bill that comes up for a vote on the House floor must have the approval of three-fifths of the Senate. Um, I believe that's 19 members. It is important right now because there are only 18 Republicans after the most recent election. Um, and so presumably Republicans have lost their supermajority and the ability to kind of get bills to the floor on their own. The idea here, though, is that Dan Patrick is is interested in changing this and kind of keeping full Republican control of the House. If, if that passes, Ross, that might be the most consequential thing that will have happened in the Capitol this week, right? I think so. I mean, you know, we're going to go to, I think it's the five-ninths rule, if you sort of work it out on, on you know, when you're bored watching the President pro tem proceedings. Uh, but if they, they go to a five nine R minus one rule, that would make right. it a, yeah, <laughs> instead of fractions. The you know the interesting thing here is you're getting closer and closer to a regular majority for consideration of a piece of legislation for debate on the floor, 
And if you're one member over the limit, you've empowered the last member onto the boat. So if there's a Republican on a nonpartisan vote, let's say you've got a bill on, you know, railroad crossings or something that the Senate's a little bit split on, not necessarily on party lines, you can't hold it together necessarily with a Republican vote because any one Republican could jump and then you can't get your bill considered until you start getting those people back together to get them on board. Um, it makes the, you know, it gives the senators individually a little bit more deal-making ability, but I don't have any real illusions here that the Senate's going to slip out of Dan Patrick's control. He's had an iron grip on it since he became lieutenant governor. He's managed to hold on to that, um, doesn't really show any signs of letting go. Well, it'll certainly be an interesting session, and we'll be watching it over the next few months. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you to our producer, Todd. That brings our podcast to the end uh, for the today. Um, also, thank you to our sponsors, DoorDash and the University of Texas at Arlington, Educate Texas, and Texas Farm Bureau. We will be back next week. Do I have to talk to you?